Thank you so much for joining us today on YouTube. If you haven't already, go ahead and click that subscribe button down below so you can stay up to date with all that Church on the Hill has going on. If you haven't already, also follow us on social media, either Instagram or Facebook, both Church on the Hill and our senior pastor, Pastor Adam McKay. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the message. Good morning, church. Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord? Say yes. Come on, are you happy to be in the house of the Lord? Say yes. Can I get a little clap hands in the chat box for all of our own? Can we clap for our online campus? We love you guys so much. And can we give another clap for our uh, Mansfield campus? We love you guys so much. So proud of you. How many of you guys love Jesus? Let me hear you say me. Come on, how many of you are grateful that you're loved by Jesus? Somebody say me. How many of you can testify that you used to be wretched, but Jesus has made you worthy? Come on, somebody. Are you there? Say yeah. Come on, I'm going to just encourage you for a little bit. How many of you used to be an enemy of God, but now he calls you his friend? Can I hear a little shout? Come on, say with me. How many of you guys used to be full of fear, but now you walk in power, love, and a sound mind? How many of you used to be liars, but now you're truth tellers? Go ahead, tell the truth. He's for you and not against you. How many, come on now, how many of us used to be perverse, but now we're walking in purity? Thank you, Jesus. How many of us were drunkards? and addicts, but he has now filled us with the source of the Holy Spirit, and we walk uprightly before our God. How many of us used to be takers, but now we're givers? Come on, can I get a little shout amen there? How many of us used to have years and years and years where we looked the other way, but now we look towards him? Is that who you are today? I want you to know that 2020 may have been a year that you thought was full of disappointments, but actually what it was was appointments, divine appointments that God's going to do in your life. You may have been looking back on these last nine months to 12 months, and you may have seen these things as setbacks, but I want you to know that God is using them to make them setups for the divine purpose and plan that he has for your life. Because what Satan meant for evil, the Bible says God will turn around for good. Can I get a little bit of clap offering in this place? Has he been good to you? Say yes. Do you love him like you've always loved him? Say yes. I want to just kind of fire you up a little bit this morning because I, can, I, I know how it is when you've been going through something, when, when things have been shifted and it's not necessarily comfortable that you can lose sight of how good he's been. And he's been good to us, amen? And he has transformed our lives. And we are here today worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The last couple of weeks, uh, we, uh, we've been studying this process of change. That we are going every day as a Christian, that he is taking us and transforming us into his image a little bit more. And that in that process, there are times that we might would perceive as dark times or wilderness experiences or even obscurity as we called it. We went for that through that the last two weeks. But those, those moments are beautiful. They're wonderful. They're actually the good times of being alone with God and him transforming us. And many of you guys got a hold of the book that we put out, Favored, Not Forgotten. How many of you been blessed by that? Hasn't it been good? Oh, thank you for receiving that. It's our life message. And today, I want to transition us a step further into this whole concept of how God is constantly drawing us deeper with him and making us more like him and that we're being transformed day by day into his glorious image. And today I want to point to what Jesus said in his original sermon of what we would look like. What are we supposed to be? This whole transformation process, what, what's the goal? What's the real um, reason behind all of it? And so if you're with me today, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to study this passage for just a little bit today. And, uh, and I think it'll bless you. I think it'll change, change your way of thinking and hopefully change our lives together. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. 
It's Jesus speaking, and he says, you are the light of the world. Mic drop, done, let's go home. You are the light of the world. Say, I am the light of the world. And he continues on, a city on a hill, a hill city, a city on a hill city that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to who? To everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Touch the person next to you and say, let your light shine. Come on, turn to the person on the other side and say, let your light shine. Now, this passage is in the beginning stages of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So let me kind of set the the imagery of what's transpiring here. I want to take you to that moment. Uh, Jesus has been, for the most part, um, starting his ministry. He has been water baptized by John the Baptist. He comes out. The Holy Spirit falls, comes upon him. God speaks out of, the Father speaks out of heaven, says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. He has this engagement with Satan, Lucifer himself, trying to destroy him. And Jesus overcomes him through the word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we see Jesus starting his ministry. Kind of things are happening supernaturally and then he begins to pick of all the people that are following him people are chasing after him because miracles are happening their cousin just had their blind eye opened up they just had a they just had a, a friend who lived down the street who just whose arm grew back whatever it may be and so they're like dude who is this person he's got to be a prophet or the messiah which has been prophesied so they start crowds start following him around and he is constantly doing miracles and the night before this moment He goes up on a mountainside, and he seeks the Father. And when he comes down, he begins to pick his 12 disciples who would be apostles. There's many people following him, but he picks 12. I'll take you. Okay, Peter. No, not really you. Okay, can you imagine? And he's just kind of like, oh. (laughs) And so he picks these 12 knotheads. And then early in the morning, as that finishes up, all the people are gathering, chasing him down. And he sits them all down on a mountainside, and he really, for the first time, really, begins to share his doctrine, begins to teach his teachings. I mean, they have been used to the, the, the teachers of the law. They've been used to the rabbi's teaching. But when Jesus speaks to him, he's speaking to them not in a holy place, a temple area dedicated, but on the mountainside where they do everyday life. I mean, we're, while he's speaking to them, people are hauling stuff. You know, the manure truck is going by. I mean, they're, they're, people are fishing right there on the edge of this, of this uh, you know, on the Sea of Galilee, this whole area. He's in this area, um, and, he's just, and, and he just sits him down, and he starts teaching. And he opens up, which some of you have heard it preached before, have studied it before. He opens up with the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, as, as, he, as the Bible calls them. Uh, and, he, and he starts kind of laying out this, you know, if you can, you can be blessed and you can live in blessings if you will do these things. And he, and he starts with, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, those who recognize they are spiritually uh, impoverished. Those who recognize, I need God. He said, blessed are they. He says, because I'll tell you what, they will have the kingdom of heaven. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll truly, they truly are, the, when they're truly sorry for your sins. He says, what happens with you, if you'll mourn, if you're truly sorry, you will receive comfort. I will bring you comfort. 
If you're truly sorry for your sins, he's blessed are those who mourn. He's teaching and laying out what it looks like to chase after God. He says, blessed are the meek. He says, in the meek, those are people that have divine, supernatural, disciplined strength. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's been tough to be meek this year. I mean, just to not go after everybody and go off on everybody. It's been, it, had, it took divine discipline for me not to say, hey, you're all an idiot. This, this, this. Oh, you want to see a post? Look at this post. It took divine restraint. That's what meekness is. And he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Give me Hawaii. Thank you, Jesus. He says, Blessed are those who quest for righteousness, he says, because they will be satisfied. Listen, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's saying you will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. That's why I keep telling you, don't be mean. Don't be mean. Be merciful. That's what he taught. That's his opening teaching, his opening big teaching. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. I know how much mercy I need. Come on, are you with me today? And he goes into these teachings, and then he comes out of these blessed, uh, these beatitudes, and he says, because I want you, I want you to know what your influence is going to be. He said, all of this transformation is leading towards your influence. And let me tell you what your influence is. You're going to be salt. You are the salt. In other words, he says that preserving thing. In, in, in biblical times, in ancient times, they didn't have refrigerant. They didn't have the ability to, you know, take that leftover sandwich and, and throw it in the refrigerator and eat it the next day. They had salt. They would take salt and they would put it on things and it would preserve it. He says, you're the salt. You're going to preserve the kingdom of God's business on the earth. You're my people. You're my followers. And then he moves on and he says, as we, as we quote, he says, you are the light of the world. A hill city. That cannot be hidden. A, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. He said, you are the light of the world. Now, he's talking to people who are perverts. He's talking to liars and cheaters. Come on, are you with me? That's why I asked you, how many of you are so grateful that you're no longer a liar or a cheater? Well, the reason why is because God has transformed your life. He's done something in you and what you used to be, you're not anymore. Thank God that I'm not what I used to be. I may not be what I want to be, but I'm not what I used to be. Are you with me? Say yes. Come on, Christian. Say yes. And he says, you are the light of the world. He says, you're the light. He says, this is what you're going to be. I know you may not have it completely yet, but the fact that you're engaging with me, something has lit up in your nature. The spirit of the living God is coming upon you. You are the light of the world. In fact, Ephesians says this about us as believers. Ephesians 5.8 says, for you were once in darkness. How many of you were once, once in darkness? Come on, testify. You were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, live as children of light. That's what Ephesians 5 and 8 says. See, we are the solution to darkness. Jesus didn't build a temple. He didn't, he didn't start a video series. He came and he reproduced what God the Father was doing in him. Who he was, he reproduced in us. And we became, he brought light, it lit us up, and now we light up others. That's what we are. Can you, have you pulled out the Christmas lights yet? Jamie pulled out the Christmas tree, and she said, I don't know where it's at, but the whole string at the top is not lit up. One of the bulbs is bad. After an hour, I said, we're buying a new Christmas tree. Go throw that one in the garbage. I worked, and I worked. Can you imagine when God looks down, and he says, she's supposed to be lit up, but she's burned out, so it affects everything else around. He says, you are the light of the world. You cannot be hid. You cannot. In fact, when you come together as one strand, what you really are is a city up on a hill that's lit up. You're a hill city that's given light to all the surrounding and all the brokenness and all the difficulty all around. In fact, I would illustrate you like this. When God came into your life, he kind of, y'all help. 
help me. Y'all pray for me in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that your grace and your mercy extends. Yeah, there you go. And that's what he did. So when you and I got saved, he lit us up, right? Like for the first time, he started looking at things different. He started going, well, wait a minute. I feel bad when I cuss that person out. Before you were a Christian, you didn't feel bad about cussing anybody. You felt bad that you didn't use enough cuss words when you cussed them out. Come on, you with me? You didn't feel bad about running that person off or cutting them off in traffic. You didn't feel they deserved it because where did you get your license? South America, what's wrong with you? Come up in here driving like that. You hit the brakes, pump the brakes a couple of times. But then when you became a Christian, the Spirit of the Lord, he lit you up. And now all of a sudden, you feel bad about doing that. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives inside of you and me. And what's supposed to happen is that light is supposed to shine forth to all those that are in darkness, of which we used to be. I used to not care one bit if you got mad at me. I didn't care one bit if I offended you. I used to not care one bit if you, if you were going to die and burn and go to hell. Because I was dying going to hell with you. I had no concern. I saw you as an opportunity to benefit me. And if you weren't an opportunity to benefit me, then you were not in relationship with me because you were dead weight. Are you with me? Say yes. But then Jesus came into my life. The light of the Father through Jesus Christ lit me up. And something started burning inside of me, started changing who I was. And as Jesus puts this whole point together, he starts talking about not just us as an individual light, but he calls us a city. A hill city. Now you got to understand, for the people that are sitting here on this mountainside, living in ancient times, when he starts using hill city as an illustration of what we're supposed to be, they get it. Because you and I, for most part, especially those of us that grew up around this metroplex, we only understand a city. But I think some of you have some family that live out in the country. Anybody got some country family? Anybody lived in the country ever? All right. Anybody who ever lived in the country? I'm not, I'm, talking, I'm not talking about, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, Middle Othian. I'm talking about country. Come on, you with me? Ain't none of y'all got no family that's in the country? I'm talking about it's got one light. One light in that, in that little town. One horse. I mean, they call it one horse light. I mean, one stop. I mean, if they get a Sonic, Jesus is coming back, right? I mean, a big day for living out in the country is to drive an hour and a half away to go to Walmart. Come on, are you with me? That's country living right there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's when uh, you live so far out that the, that, the, that the coyotes don't even mess with you. Like, ah, it's too far to go out there to mess with their, with their stuff. But Jesus is talking to a group of people who understood what it was to be way outside and what it was to have watched cities establish. So you've grown up with established cities, but can you imagine in ancient times, how did a city get established? How did it come together? How did that happen? Well, I'll tell you the first thing that happened was a group of individuals said, let's come together. They had to make a decision. Let's come together. Knowing that if we come together, that we're also going to have to do something else. We're going to have to submit ourselves to some type of governing structure. I can't just throw my trash out in the front yard like I normally do. You know, when you live out in the country, you burn anything out in the front yard. You can leave whatever broke down car wherever you want to leave. I moved here to Cedar Hill, and I was so mad that they wouldn't let me cut down the trees in my front yard. I was like, who, who tell me what tree I want to cut down? I got a chainsaw. We rock. And Jamie's like, they, you, there's an ordinance against it. I was like, an ordinance against it? 
I did come say hello, my ordinance to my little chainsaw. I mean, I'm not going to be affected by your little ordinance. So what are you talking about? She goes, no, there are rules to live in this city. When we went to work on this particular campus and we needed more parking space, this thing kept growing and growing and growing. I was like, put some gravel out front. And James was like, you can't put gravel out front? I was like, I'm from the country. We put gravel out. That's a, that's a nice parking space right there. You get gravel. That's better than the grass. And she's like, you can't do that. There's an ordinance in it. We got to pour concrete. It's going to cost us much money. I was like, city living is wicked. And I had to surrender. I had to surrender to governmental concepts of organization so that I could live in the city. Can you imagine? So Jesus starts talking about a city on a hill, a hill city. And they start going, whoa, we know what that means. But they also understood the benefits. Let me write these down. There's some benefits for being in a city. The first grandiose benefits, and the ancient ones understood it, was protection. Protection. You think about it. You ever watch that Dateline special, how them people out in the country got killed? Somebody come up in their house, killed them, they didn't find their bodies for a month? That don't happen in the city. I mean, last night I heard a dog, I'm like, the neighbors are being attacked, baby. Where my gun at? Let me go save them. I mean, because you, 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 you're living on top of each other. And, 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 and you have a set of rules, and, 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 you, and, and, and you pay taxes to have people come and protect you if someone does attack you. You don't have that when you're living out in the country, out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody knows what's going on in your life, especially think about in ancient times. Think about in ancient times that the beast of, you know, the attacking beast would come and take all your animals, that you would have to try to somehow have enough kids to even be able to form and take care of the, of the, of the house and, 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 and your crops and that kind of stuff. But when you moved into a city, what it brought was protection. Think about band of raiders. Think about violent people that would band together. And if you're living out in the middle of nowhere by yourself, how they could kill you in the night and you couldn't protect yourself. But when you moved into a city, it had city walls. Come on, somebody. It had a, it had a gate on it. It had protection. They shut that gate at night in ancient times. They'd lock that gate down. And if you got there after dark, you ain't coming. Coming in, and you had you sorry because we're gonna protect what's ours. Are you there with me? Say yes. And when Jesus is talking about that, they start thinking, Yeah, we're not just individual life, but we're gonna be a collection of life, and that'll bring protection to us. That's why you gotta be connected in a body of believers. Listen to me, online folks that may have just been scrolling through and you say, Well, I just love Jesus, I don't really believe in church. You need a family to protect you, you need to be surrounded, you need to be a part of a spiritual city, if you will. And that's what Jesus is talking about here's the second advantage or benefit for being in a city and that was advancement advancement see when you're out there on your own you only know what you know but when you get around others and you're doing life with others you can advance quicker the bible says better greater is the strength of two than double the strength of the one in other words as you and i get together and we start i start realizing you're right that that's not good as you and i do life together and as we come together as a spiritual city what that creates is your advancement your understanding helps me advance faster that's why the bible says the older the more mature the more experienced should constantly be teaching the younger. It's not about age, it's about understanding and advancement. And so what I love about this church, what I love about who we are in our community is that we're investing in our young people. We're constantly investing because I want them to go further than me. I want them to do better than me. I want them to outlive me in Jesus. Are you with me? Say yes. I want our, I want our four-year-olds raising the dead. Come on, somebody. I want our 16-year-old prophesying on Facebook and on Instagram and on TikTok and blowing it up and having millions of followers. And we're all like, like I preach my life 
My whole life I preached to thousands, but you preached to millions in one video. My Jesus, come on. That's what I want and believe for. Why? So they can advance because we advance together when we're collective. Are you there? Say yes. And here's the third big benefit of a city, of a collective. And that is it becomes a refuge for those who are lost. It's a refuge for those who are lost. When Jesus is having this pronouncement to the people of what it is to follow him. They're sitting there on that mountainside and he probably points. You know, we've been there and the scholars that were with us says in this Sermon on the Mount. And he makes this statement. He points probably to the city of Hippos. Hippos was a city up on a cliffside. Right there along in the Galilean region. And in fact, it's that cliffside that Jesus cast the demons out of the man. They went into the pigs and they ran off the cliff. And so what they would do in ancient times is they would put their cities on a hill. They would be hill cities. And the reason why they would put it up there is because the protection opportunity is better at a heightened spot. Are you with me? Yeah, it, you can see what's coming. If there's a band of raiders, you can see them before they can see you. Or, I, they can, excuse me, they can see you, but you can also see them because you're elevated and you can see down. It also makes it more difficult for the enemy to climb the hillside, if you will, or the mountainside. And up on the top of that is a place of protection. And so we see all throughout scriptures that they were constantly demonic folks. Satan worshipers would get spiritually up on the highest point to speak that out over the people that were down in the valley regions. And so so when Jesus says that we're a city on a hill, that we are literally, that we are the expression of God and that we're elevated up so that all around can see, there it is. Can you imagine being on that great sea of Galilee in the night in a boat in the midst of a storm, losing your way, and then all of a sudden you turn and you can see off in the distance the flickering light of that city, that city up on a hill, and you turn your boat that direction and say, we can find safe harbor over there. We can find safety over there. This is what Jesus is in is uh, yielding to and this is what the people sitting there are going you're right you're right you're right and Jesus qualifies the church his followers it's not just individual lights but a collection of lights that come together a collection of lights that come together and form a city on a hill or a hill city if you will and for years this church has been a light and I think for most part we were a lot of smaller cultivated lights but God's been doing something in us recently. He's been adding to us. We're not a little town anymore, ladies and gentlemen. We are a city of lights. We are a hill city, if you will. He has been transforming us and, and making something new in us. We have become that city, if you will. And we are no longer a small gathering of believers. Thank you, Jesus. And so somehow in this process, he has been transforming not just us as individuals, but we as a church. And it's with that that we've decided to change our identity expression to accommodate what he's done in us. And it's with that today that I would like to welcome you to Hill City Church. When we, when we started this church, we started in my living room. And quite honestly, we started it, I was just frustrated with mega ministry. I'll be honest. I, I was frustrated with the systems. Kind of like I'm frustrated about living in a city. I was frustrated with all the hoops that you had to jump through. It felt like somewhere in the process we lost the authenticity of just loving Jesus and being spiritual family. And so we just started in our living room. We took up tithes and offerings, but we didn't need them. 
I had a job, and everyone else that was committed, they had jobs, and so we would just, you know, we'd go find some single mom that needed help, and we'd give to them and things like that. I would make them pay for the toilet paper that they kept using up in my house, and <laughs> I would, we would take the tie for some of that. <clears throat> and they kept bringing their friends, and, and we kept growing, and people kept getting saved. Lives kept being changed. Marriages were being put back together. Healings were happening, and we were like, this is it, this is it. And we kept growing. And we went from a little one-horse town to, to more people gathered with us. And, 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 and more people. And then we, like, you know, hey, you can't throw your trash out there, all right? We got to get a system here, okay? Because it's affecting us. You know, we, we got more people that live next to us now. And, and we're family now. You can't just do that. And so and then all of a sudden, we're like, what are we going to do about kids' ministry? Because we never had kids' ministry. We just cared for the kids. We stuck them in the garage, put them on veggie tails, and, and it was great until, until, you know, that 10-year-old was a 13-year-old, and they're going through major issues. And we're like, what are we going to do to help the Smith family? What are we going to do to help the Johnson family? Oh, because they're like, Pastor, my kid's full of the devil what's wrong with this church and we're like uh and so we had to grow and we had to mature we had to develop so that we could protect and be the city if you will that God was formulating us into and over the years we have grown and we have expanded and we have if you will become more than just a small expression of believers and the name hill city best represents what we've transformed into as well as what we are becoming, and as well as what we want to reach. And so maybe you ask, so why are we changing the name? Well, let me just give you a little bit of thoughts on that. We've been transforming from a community church into a metropolitan expression, from a country town to a bustling city. See, Church on the Hill says we're a handful of families who have found life, but Hill City says we're a movement that is transforming cities. Church on the Hill says, come and let us minister to you. Hill City says, come and we will become ministers together. Church on the Hill shows our love for this community here in Cedar Hill. Hill City shows our love for every community throughout the Metroplex, the United States, and the nations of the world. Church on the Hill says, come find your light. Hill City says, come shine your light with us as we transform the darkness around us. As we moved into opening our second campus in Mansfield, we found that Mansfield did not connect with church on the hill as an identification. It was more localized to Cedar Hill. They had heard about it there, but it just didn't say movement. We recognized that we were acting like a town when we had become a city. We were acting like a few lights when God had made us many, many lights. And it was with that that we said it's time to transition our identification to what we are. And that is a hill city. A church that is not localized to one little area or one little family. This isn't about the McCain family. This is about a movement of God across this metroplex. Do you know that the metroplex, Dallas-Fort Worth, is seven and a half million people? The state I came from, Louisiana, is only five million people. I live now in a city that is bigger than the state that I came from. Do you know that 300,000 people are moving into the Metroplex a year? The capital city of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where I came from, when I moved here 20 years ago, the capital city of Baton Rouge was only 400,000 people. We're adding as many people a year to the Metroplex as what the entire capital city of where I came from was. 
they're moving here from California and from all. I love them. I love you Californiaites. I love you so much. I'm so grateful that he's bringing darkness into the light so that we can help. I just, I, I love you. I love you. I love you so much. I love you. I'm being, I'm being silly. But it does bring the point that people are coming here. They're being drawn here. And if we do not shine forth the light, they will continue in darkness. God has picked the Metroplex as one of the fastest growing areas in the United States. And with that fast growing comes fast growing sin. With that fast growing comes fast growing problems and difficulties and busted up relationships and divorces and all these. And they need more than we've ever needed. We need an expression of God's goodness, a light that shines forth into darkness and transforms lives. And that's what we are. See, Hill City says that we're not just about our comfort, but we're about a place of refuge for all those who are broken and lost and undone. It also says that every one of you are ministers. See, I believe firmly that the body of Christ, the members are all ministers. You say, well, Pastor, I don't, I'm not really, I didn't go to Bible school. What are you talking about? No, no, no. The moment you became a Christian, you were lit up. And you know things and experience things in God that the lost and the broken don't. You say, well, I'm not there yet. I don't really have it all together. Right, you don't. But you got more light than they do. Because they're living in darkness. And their end will be death and destruction. And so you may not be perfect and you may not have it all together. And you may still be suffering, failing forward as we always say around here. But friend, let me tell you something. You are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ because you've experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are a witness simply because you experienced something. Not because you're an expert in the field, but because you experienced something. When they put that witness on the stand, that person just says, sir, all I know. All I know, judge, jury, all I know is I was sitting there in my car. They ran the red light and hit that person right there. All I know is what happened to me as I was there what I experienced the man who was blind said I don't know how he did it I don't know all the doctrine all I know is once I was blind but now I see do you want to make him your Lord as well and they're like what who is this guy and I want you to understand something you may not have it all together but a friend I'm telling you right now you got more light in you than the wicked darkened world that is destroying all of humanity and it's our time it's our time to be a city on a hill Matthew 5 and 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Friend, all you and I have to do is just shine. We may make mistakes and we may blow it, but can I ask you something? When's the last time a coworker said, hey, I don't know if you know this, but just working with you is changing my life. When's the last time you've had somebody walk up to you and say, Man, why are you always smiling? You got something I don't have. When did you have when's the last time somebody hit you up and DM'd you back on something that you posted and said, What you're posting is ch it's changing my life. Thank you so much. Friend, can I tell you something? It's time to be light. I, I, we cannot do what God's told us to do as a movement. See, our vision is to put a campus in every municipality in the metroplex we we, we don't want to have we're, our vision is not to try to bring them all here and build bigger buildings do you want to be cattle going to a 5,000 seat sanctuary I don't nobody knows my name I want to be at a place where everybody knows my name 
Why do you think we keep these facilities smaller? Why do you think we don't, we don't do the whole, you know, no, 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 no. Because we want you to have a real experience with God. We want you to be who you're called to be. We want you to shine out your life. We want you to minister to others. I don't want. Listen, it is a broken, demonic system that says, come, we will minister to you, and you give us a tip if you like it. That is not what the New Testament calls believers or Christianity or the church. You are his light. You. Not me. We got the best pastor ever. No, I'm just a dude. I've been entrusted as the quarterback. But you're the great running backs and great blocking backs. You're the great wide receivers. Your stats should be 100 times better than mine. I've been given a position, but you have been given light to shine forth into the hearts of men. He calls them. He's sitting there talking to them. He says, you're the light of the world. Cultivate as a city, and you'll put you up on a hill, and everyone will come and be drawn to that. But you've got to shine forth your light. And can I tell you, I know I've been there. Some of you right now say, Pastor, i got to be honest, my light is dim. I know that people's lives aren't being changed by mine, not for the good. What do I do? I want to give you a couple thoughts on something to do with that. Would you write these down? I think they'll help you. They're just real practical. They're biblical, but they're real practical. The first thing on what to do if you feel like your light has dimmed, first and foremost, cry out. Cry out to your God. Look at Psalms 34 and 17. says, the righteous cry out, and the Lord does what? He hears them. The righteous cry out. And the Lord hears him, and he delivers them from all of their troubles. You say, Pastor, I haven't seen anyone's life changed. You know, I, I love God. I'm not perfect. I, I'm trying my best to overcome this, that, or the other. But quite honestly, I don't know if my light shines. I don't know if it lights up anybody's life. Friend, if your light is dim, the first thing to do is cry out. You need a fresh experience with the Holy Spirit. You need to get down on your knees tonight before you go to bed and say, Lord, I want to shine forth light. He said, you can't hide it. You can't take that light and hide it under something. He said it, it, it'll destroy it. Because why? Because if you put the light, if you put that under a bowl, everyone in ancient times understood that oil, that fire that's coming up off of that wick, when you take the oxygen away from it, it kills it. It kills it. He says, listen, you got to shine forth your light. Take the top off of it. Be you, boo, the best you can. Serve Jesus and let others know it. And first thing you say, Pastor, I just don't feel like I really shine forth light. I don't think people's lives are being changed by mine. Then cry out to God and say, God, help me. Lord, help me. Do something in me. I need a fresh fire burning inside of me. I need a fresh excitement about your love. I need to overcome the fears that I have of what people think. Here's the second thing I would challenge you to do, and that is change. Change. You say, Pastor, change what? Change what you're consuming. Change what you're consuming. This particular light is burning for one reason only. There's no electricity. There's no oil. It's burning off of propane. If I switch the propane out for water, it ain't going to burn. Some of you are consuming that which keeps you from burning. You're so busy... In the gossip line online, you're so busy consuming fear. Come on, somebody. You're so busy uh, consuming false doctrine. You're so busy taking it in, taking it, that you're getting more and more angry. And you're looking at people and you're like, they all should die. They should die. Kill them all. You got no light because what you're consuming, there's nothing for Jesus to light up. There's nothing happening in you. So some of you need to cut off some of the people you've been running with. Bro, she's been telling you for months, cut him off. 
Don't go out with them on Friday nights. Come on, serve God with me. And you've been playing this game back and forth, bro. You need to cut it off and say, hey, listen, I love God. I don't have it all, all right, but I just need to cut these friendships off for right now. Just give me a season because I can't help you because I am drawing from you instead of you drawing from me. I'm not lighting you up. You're dousing me down. And so as a result, I need to just step away for a moment. Until you get that thing burning bright, then you can go back and shine that light into those relationships. But I'll tell you, there's a season of getting the change really happening in your life. And some of you, you keep taking it on. You keep watching those same things, listening to that same stuff. I guess you are depressed. All you listen to is they took my truck and to kill my dog and my wife had an affair with the postman. I guess you are depressed. I'd be ready. Like, I ain't got no light either. And you are killing that out. And here's the third thing I would teach you to do. You still with me? Say yes. Take a risk. Take a risk. I'm constantly taking risks. I'm constantly walking up to people. I've learned to do this. When I feel myself dim a little bit, I just, I'll take a risk. I'll just go walk up to somebody I don't know and say, excuse me. I did this the other day at a store. I said, excuse me, I don't know you. And I'm so sorry to be weird, but I felt like God wanted me to tell you this. They got big tears in their eyes. You know what I did in that moment? I lit that thing up. I started shining forth some light. And they're like, dude, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What I did is I took a risk. And that light shone. so. I got in my car. I'm like, Yes! I'm a man of God. I felt Jesus all over me. I was like, whoo, put on some more Maverick City. I got to listen to some more worship. Come on, let's go. Let's go. It lit up my life. Why? Because I stripped away that bowl, and I went and took a risk in somebody. Some of you need to post today. When you leave here, I love Jesus more than I've ever loved him. He's transformed my life. Why did I open you up with, have you been delivered from being a liar, and now you're a truth teller? Yes. I'm no, how many of you are no longer a pervert, but you're walking in purity? Yes. Why are you bringing that out, Pastor? Because that's the light that shines into the world that causes people to say, that's what I need. I need to get there. They can see it. So you got to elevate. I can see it up on that hillside. I can see that city up on a hill, that hill city. And today, I'm calling us as a church out of our our dim-lidness to shine bright. And I'm calling us to come together that we can reach the cities of this metroplex, the cities of this state, the cities of this nation, and the cities of the world. We are Hill City. You are a minister of light. You are. You may not be perfect. You may be still struggling with some things, but you are God's anointed and God's appointed. He calls you a saint even though you still feel like you're a sinner. Even though you struggle, even though you are overcoming, even though you are being transformed into his likeness a little bit every day, what's inside of you is the Holy Spirit living and abiding. The light of God is in you. Shine forth your light. Shine forth your light that all men may know that he is the living Savior. Are you with me today? Say yes. Hey guys, wasn't that a great word today? You know, I'm so thankful that the word isn't limited to a Sunday morning at a certain time or the four walls of the church building, but it can go through whatever time you may be watching this, wherever venue you might be at. The word of God can minister to you no matter where you are. You know, if you're interested in partnering with what Church on the Hill is doing, not only locally, but globally, you say, I really want to invest with that, with Church on the Hill in advancing kingdom business. And you can do so by partnering with us by sending a donation to P.O. Box 3815, Cedar Hill, Texas, 75106. Hey guys, we love you. We look forward to seeing you again.